Hey guys, Terry here. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that Testimonies with Terry now has merchandise. We got shirts, long sleeve shirts, hoodies, crew neck sweaters, hats, and these items will be available for a limited time as the online store will close on October 27th. Now, if the initial run of orders does well, we can always open the store back up and do more, but we're testing the waters here to see if there's a demand. Now, this is important. All orders are going to be shipped to me by default. So if you know me personally and can arrange to meet up with me to get your items, you don't need to do anything. But if you don't know me personally, or you live somewhere far away from me, you'll need to add the shipping item to your cart and we'll get your items shipped anywhere in the United States. You can order these items at www.imagebuild.com forward slash TWT hyphen webstore.htm. And you don't need to worry about memorizing that link because I'll post it in the show notes for this episode and across all the Testimonies with Terry social media pages. Again, October 27th is when the store will close, so get your order in now. Thanks for the support, guys. Let's get to the show. You are now listening to Testimonies with Terry. Welcome, everyone, to Episode 3 of Testimonies with Terry. I'm your host, Terry Skiggs, and thanks a lot for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe and follow this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Testimonies with Terry on social media and leave those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Well, as you all know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. According to the CDC, 255,000 women get breast cancer in the United States each year, and unfortunately, 42,000 women pass away due to breast cancer each year. Today, however, you're going to hear the testimony of one woman who beat the cancer with the help of Jesus. And not only that, you're going to hear how this amazing woman also overcame an eating disorder and doubts about finding a man who'd be willing to walk with her through the after effects of cancer. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Ashley Benoit's testimony. All right, guys. Well, I am here with Ashley Benoit. I'm super excited for everyone to hear your story. Ashley, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So you and I were just talking about the office here a little bit. What, uh, you know, something that both of us enjoy. What would you say is your favorite episode of The Office? You know, this is where I always get some flack because two of my favorites right away are Scott's Tots. Oh, man. People hate. (laughs) And the dinner party is the second one. Yes. That other people just cringe about. But I also, in true girl fashion, love Niagara. I love, I mean, Mm. when Jim and Pam get married. It's a great wedding. Makes me cry every time. And the, the, the finale, too, was one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Michael coming back at the end. Oh, yeah. So many so many good moments. Yeah. yeah. Who's uh, your favorite character or the character you maybe relate to the most? You know, I obviously love Michael. I think he's hilarious. Um, but I just – I feel like Pam is – 
she's just my girl. Mm-hmm. I just think she's the best. Yeah. So, yeah, probably Pam. Well, Ashley, you know, I've been finding through this podcast when I'm interviewing people, it's like I know these people, but I don't know these right. people. And so I've known you for a couple years mm-hmm. at least, but never really had in super in-depth conversation mm-hmm. with you. I've heard bits and pieces of your story and your testimony. And, and I knew when I started this podcast, I'm just like, I got to get Ashley yeah. on. So uh, super pumped to have you on. Uh, I'm wondering if we can just start at the beginning, if, if you can just kind of talk about where did you grow up and what family life was like for you? Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, grew up in Painesville, Minnesota. Um, it's about actually like 15 minutes from here. I swore that I would never come back to small town life when I left for college. And here we are. Um but grew up in um, in a home where my dad was a pastor, um, so I had I've been in ministry most of my life, um, and I have two brothers, one older, one younger, only girl, so obviously highly favored. Um. Yeah, what well, what was that like for you? Because I I'm the only boy in my family. I got okay. three sisters, so I you know experienced the opposite of that. What was it like growing up the only girl? Yes, um, I mean for sure I got away with a lot more than my brothers did. <laughs> To a certain extent, but yeah, it was good. Just a different, different relationship all around. Did you feel like a a pretty good sense of protection or maybe overprotection between your dad and your two brothers Mm -hmm. looking out for you? Yeah, I would say definitely protected. I mean, my, so my younger brother is um, 18 months younger than me. So we shared a lot of the same friends and, um, hung out with a lot of the same people. And then my older brother is five years older than me. So, um, the protection piece definitely came more so for my older brother. And then my dad in general, I mean, like my dad did so much for us. He was like every Saturday he would clean and uh, vacuum my vehicle. He would fill it with gas. I did, this sounds so terrible. I can't believe I'm telling you this, but I did not know how to pump my own gas until I went to college because my dad always did that. Oh man. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) Talk about shock. (laughs) So I'm just trying to picture you like driving up to the gas pump, you know, on your own for the first time. And uh, like, what do you do? Do you just get out and like... Just fake it till you make it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So they, I mean, they always took really good care of me. Cool. Yeah. What was it like growing up as a pastor's kid um, and growing up in a family that was in ministry? Oh, I loved it. Honestly, from an early age, I so my dad's always been in ministry before. Um, I spent most of my life in Painesville, but before that, we had been at a few churches in the cities. Um, and I had always, always loved it. I've always been an extrovert since like literally the moment I was born, I was an extrovert. And so the idea of being able to like be in constant community was such a big thing for me. Um, They used to always make fun of me because when I I remember being like, I don't know, seven years old and loving greeting time at church because I could run around and see everybody. Um, And so it's always like, it's been something that's been ingrained in me since a very young age and I've always loved it. Were you yourself involved in your family's church in any role throughout your childhood? Yeah. So I started um, leading worship when I was like probably 12 or so, just with like youth worship, things like that. Yeah. Um, And then as I got older, progressed more into adult worship, being on that team. Um, And so I'd, that's really, I feel like where I developed a a true love and passion for ministry, especially worship ministry, um, was just being able to develop that involvement at such a young age in a ch- in the in our church, um, and so it's been really cool to see how that has now paved the way to where I am now. 
So where are you now? Yes. So I serve at River of Life Church. Um, technically, my role is the media and marketing director, um, but I also get to lead worship every week with my husband, Derek, who is the worship pastor here. So full circle moment yes. there, kind of. Yes. It's actually funny because I went to school for music pastoral studies. That's also what Derek went for. And um, in college, he was like the one who excelled at everything. I mean, he was like the best of the best. Everybody knew Derek Benoit is so good. And I was the one who was like scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to get through. <laughs> and I remember when when we graduated, I sat down with um, the dean and he asked me, you know, what is like one of your biggest takeaways um, from North Central? And that's where I went to college um, and this program. And I was like, you know what, Dr. Dave, I've realized that I do not want to be a worship pastor. Mm. There's no way I want to do this. I told him, all I want to do is, like, do something creative and then marry someone who's in ministry and be able to lead worship with them. I just want to work as a team with someone. And he just kind of laughed, like, well, good thing you just went to college for the last four years studying this. Good luck. And then look where we are now. I'm serving in a creative role and married to someone and get to do worship full time. Doing exactly what you wanted to do. Exactly, That's crazy. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of a testimony in and of itself, right? Totally. Honestly, it's so much favor. There was, you know, when I, to backtrack a little bit. So I went, uh, when I had originally decided to go to North Central, um, I, my parents were supportive, but they were hesitant for sure of me pursuing worship. Um, And so they had really tried to encourage me to consider other options like nursing or, you know, this the safe fields, um, which I get lightheaded and tunnel vision and blackout at this, like, smallest injuries. People even talking about them, I do not handle well. So I tried being a CNA for, like, a minute. Did not work. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> um And then I started out at North Central studying music business, thinking like, well, at least I'm still in the music world, but like, you know, attach business to it, whatever, that's safe. Um, But I really felt a strong tug in my heart, like, this is not where I'm supposed to be. I know that I'm supposed to be pursuing worship ministry. And so for my parents, that was hard for them to fully support just because, you know, for me to say, like, I'm going to go to this private school and spend all of this money, and then I'm going to go work for a local church and be a worship leader, I can understand where their concern was. Um, but I just felt so strongly, like, I if I'm not doing worship ministry, then I don't that is where I feel most comfortable. It's where I feel my most myself is when I'm on stage leading people into worship. Um, and so for me to be able to step into that was really, an, I would say, a step of faith for me, um, being able to like tell the Lord, you know what, if I'm if I'm going to do this, I know that like I'm not going to make millions of dollars and I'm not going to have a nine to five schedule and all these different things that most people really desire. You know, the world says is good and right. But I felt like this is, I I can't imagine doing anything else. And that's where I'm at right now. Like, you know, both Derek and I say often we could go work a normal nine to five and we could have, you know, normal in our, in our lives, but we wouldn't be fulfilled. We just love what we're doing right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. Just the obedience that, that you have in that, just going fully after what, what God has called you to do. I was Mm -hmm. listening to a sermon actually on the way uh, into our interview this morning, and uh, the pastor was talking about a picture of Billy Graham at his like cabin shortly before he passed. And in the picture, he was so content. And 
uh, Billy Graham had said it's because he knew he spent his life doing what God had called him to do. Yeah, definitely. and and I think just seeing your obedience in that, um, I mean. You're not going to be Billy Graham's age for many, many years, but I have no doubt that, uh, man, you you and Eric are both going to just be able to sit back and look back at your life and be like, yeah, we did what God called us to do. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy for me to hear that you were like scraping the bottom of the barrel at North Central because <laughs> anyone that's listened to you knows that you can sing, oh. not like sing, but like sang, <laughs> like you got some pipes on you. And you. so... I, that's just crazy. Like when you say scraping the bottom of the barrel, like are you comparing yourself talent wise to other people or are you just talking about like the grades that you would get? Or? Oh, all of it. So I would say I've always been a good student. I mean like throughout um, high school, I was a great student, um, graduated like top of my class. When I went to college, had great, I mean, great grades as well with like my general courses. Um, but keep in mind, I, I came from a small church um, in a small town where I was like really one of the only people who was leading worship. And so as far as like, quote unquote, competition goes, I didn't have that many, many people to really compete with, I guess, to like make myself better. Um, and then I go to North Central where there's, I mean, everyone and their mother can play guitar and play beautiful piano and sing and hit these notes that I've never even heard before. <laughs> um, and then with the music program, it's just a very, like, strict, rigid program that is pretty difficult. I mean, there's a ton of music theory behind it. And I had taken lessons most of my life, but I never enjoyed lessons. <laughs> um, and so, like, for me, I just – it was so hard for me. I just wanted to lead worship, you know. I didn't care about, like, the practicality and, like, that the, the science behind music. I just wanted to sing. But really – I needed those things in order to be better. And so the music program was really difficult for me, just like walking through mu music theory. Keep in mind, it was every day at 7.45 a.m., and I had to walk like at least a mile to get to the building. And so it just was – it was crazy. Um, but honestly, it, it made me so much better as a musician, as a worship leader, um, as a student. And now I'm like – so I teach piano lessons now. I have about nine students, and I stress theory so strongly to them. And they, you know, there's some of them who just love it. They come alive with it. Um, there's others who dread it. And I just have to keep telling them, like, there's so much practicality in this. You have to you have to do, learn this. You have to know this. Um, and so it's, it's good. I took away a lot from it. But for Derek, he was such a natural with it. He just, I mean, he was excellent with everything that he did. So I scraped by with the music program. But we made it. You know what? C's get degrees. <laughs> yeah. Amen to that. Sometimes Amen D's to that. do too. <laughs> well, and I think that goes to show too that like God does use everything. Oh, yeah. Like yep. even if you didn't think that <laughs> you were going to use music theory, here you are. Here we are. You know, teaching it. And yep. um, sounds like even just, you know, maybe enjoying it a little bit yep. or definitely seeing the usefulness of it. Definitely. And then it sounds like overall you went from, you know, growing up doing worship, kind of that big fish in a small pond to, you know, leaving little, you know, hinky dink, you know, yep. Painesville, <laughs> going to the Twin Cities and now you're a, a small, small fish, fish in a huge pond. Oh, yeah. It sounds like you uh, maybe got caught up in the comparison game while you were down there. Mm -hmm. How did you – what was kind of the key for you to – get out of that game, get out of that trap and to just kind of focus on you and, 
your gifts, your talents, and the calling that God had for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think there's there's definitely a mold that a lot of worship leaders can easily fall into. Um, you look at these big name worship teams across really the world that are leading us right now. And it's so easy to want to be specifically like them. Um, and so especially when I was in college, it was really difficult for me because I wanted to do all of the things. You know, I wanted to be this incredible soprano who could sing these high notes that were like Carrie Job, And I wanted to be like, um, you know, like a Kim Walker who would just rock you with like her powerful low notes. And um, I wanted to be like this gentle sweet worship leader who was just like so easy to listen to, but also wanted to be like the hype girl, you know? And so it was like, I was chasing after all of these little things, trying to be this one worship leader with all these different um, characteristics, I guess. Um, But really, I just, what it came down to was I ended up getting involved in a church in the cities. Um, fantastic church. I served there all throughout college. And I had really, really great mentors there who just helped me really hone in on like what I truly loved, where my giftings were, and how I could best sur- like thrive, I guess, survive <laughs> um, in, that, in that way. And so I think the biggest thing for me was just being able to recognize like, you know, I I maybe am not going to be this Kim Walker or Carrie Job or, you know, you name it. Um, but I do get to be Ashley Benoit. And so where is it that, like, how, how can I best minister to people through the gifts that I have? Um, and so being able to recognize those things and walk in that. And those are things I'm still learning. I mean, I feel like, honestly, every single year that goes by, I'm learning more about myself as a worship leader and how I can best engage our congregation. Because here, even, we have so many talented people who are on the stage with us, um, incredible volunteers who we get to share our time with. And um, it's easy for me to want to be more like this person or this person, but that's not who God called me to be. You know, he called me to be Ashley, and this is what you do. So being able to um, really go against that path of uh, comparison and the lies of the enemy, because that's the biggest thing, too, is like creatives. I think we can all resonate with this. Um, When we feel like our our art is being criticized, I guess, um, or we're maybe not the best. That's, that's personal, you know, because our art is a part of who we are. So like my, my voice, my singing, my worship leading, that's who I am. That is me being the most vulnerable that I can to people. And so if I'm not like feeling like I did the best that I could, or, you know, maybe this person did a better job for me, which that those thoughts creep in for sure, then it's easy for me to want to take a step back and then, you know, start to get maybe like, I don't know, sometimes it, I'll get like frustrated or discouraged or like, am I, do I even want to be doing this anymore? You know? Mm-hmm. And so being able to really step into, again, what I was talking about earlier, into who it is that God's called me to be, what type of worship leader God's called me to be, and being able to also just, like, support those around me who are different than me, because that's what the church is. Like, that is the beauty of believers and the talents that we have and creatives. Like, that's who God God put bits and pieces of himself in each of us, and we all get to now explore that together. That's a great way of looking at it. And on behalf of River of Life and everyone that gets to hear you sing every week, thank you for being you because oh, you're you. doing a great job. I and, you. and you're right. We have an incredible worship team, so many uh, talented volunteers, like you said. Mm-hmm. And for you and Derek to lead the way, uh, thank you for leading us into worship yeah, every thank week. You. <laughs> 
going back to your childhood, so you grew up um, in, in Painesville, you know, in, in the church, in, in ministry. What was school like for you? Were you, did you go to public school? Were you homeschooled? Yep. Public school. So had the full experience. Um, I was always involved in like every extracurricular activity I could. Um, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I was a part of um, different like dance teams, things like that throughout high school. Um, I even a couple of seasons was like the softball manager, a basketball manager, because I was not good at those sports. But I just like <laughs> wanted to be around people all the time. So I would take any opportunity that I could um, to be able to be a part of the team. What struggles did you face throughout, you know, especially like middle school, high school, those are kind of tougher years for everyone. Oh, yeah. What kind of struggles did you go through? Yeah. Um, so I would say one of the biggest parts of my story um, is, you know, talking about the idea of comparison. So I have struggled with insecurity most of my life. Um, and that began at a really young age, um, just with a few different uh, circumstances that happened when I was about like seven or eight. Um, and that carried into probably like my early 20s, mid 20s. Um, and with that um, resulted in eating disorder. So I would say in like middle school and high school, there's already so many pressures to like fit in and figure out who you are. And then you add in like all of the changes that are happening. And um, for me, I was super insecure. Um, and you know, having a dance background, gymnastics background, those types of things, you learn really quickly about like body image and things like that. And so from a pretty young age, I struggled with a pretty severe eating disorder that I carried with me through, like I said, like my mid 20s or so. Um, and so I would say like for me, there was always this feeling of like not measuring up, not being good enough um, and, you know, not looking my best. And so not being able to like be fully present in those moments because I was so concerned of like how much I weighed or what I looked like or, you know, things like that. What kind of eating disorder did you have? Um, so I struggled with uh, bulimia primary, pri primarily, but also like throughout college that went more into anorexia and different things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I can relate to that. I yeah. struggled with anorexia when I was in middle school and mm -hmm. in, in college some. What was that like, you know, throughout that time dealing with the eating disorder? Is, is it something that you felt like you could hide and that people couldn't see? Or did you have people, you know, family, friends that noticed that, hey, you don't seem like yourself. Something's wrong here. I definitely had people around me who noticed some changes. Um, unfortunately, in my family, there are times where communication has not always been our strong, our strong suit. And I think that really any of my family members would agree with that. Um, unfortunately, um, I think especially growing up in, in a pastor's home and feeling that pressure to be perfect, I put a lot of that pressure on myself. That's not necessarily something that my parents did. That was something I did. Um, that is what triggered a lot of my emotions and my feelings. Um, so when it came to me struggling, I do remember a specific time where someone um, who was very close to me did ask me if I was struggling. But then before I could answer, they said I would be very disappointed to hear if you were. Oh, man. Yeah. And so I felt like that just shut the door right away for me to ever feel like I could be open about it again. Um and so that was something I kept hidden for a long time. And, you know, there were different seasons. Like sometimes I was really good. And then there were other times, as you know, where like my mind would spiral and things would be really terrible. Um, 
I would say it got the worst in college. But at that point, I was completely on my own. I was my freshman year, you know, I'm just meeting a bunch of people so I could do whatever I wanted and people didn't really know my habits and things like that. Um, And so it ended up being something that I started talking about a little bit more, becoming more open about um, as I got a little bit older um, and ended up actually going to counseling um, later on and being able to work through it and um, recognizing the why and um, even, you know, the idea of being able to struggle well, because I think it's something, you know, like Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh. I really do think like, I know that God can heal. And I, I have seen that. I believe that. And I'm still praying that over myself in my mind. But I also feel like this could be the thorn in my flesh that causes me to struggle well, that reminds me to be dependent on the Lord. Um, so they're struggling and they're struggling well. So I can struggle or I can continue to have thoughts, but take those thoughts captive and continue to be dependent on the Lord. And so with that, I've experienced a lot of healing in my mind and recognizing like, you know, the days get easier. And it's been, you know, like five or I would say five years now since I've really five or six years since I've really struggled in that sense. Praise God. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What was the point that made you decide or made you realize I need to get some help? Mm-hmm. Um, I had had some health issues um, years back and um I remember I had been in a doctor's appointment. It was before I had like really started to get sick. Um, but I was, my body, I had a, a bunch of bruises on my body. Cause at that point I was, this was still in college. I was losing quite a bit of weight that like I just would bruise super easily. And I remember sitting in a doctor's appointment by myself and um, the doctor had said like, are you, you know, are you doing okay? Are you struggling at all? And I just, you know, played face like, no, I'm fine. It's everything's fine. Um, and at that point, the doctor had said like, you know, I can, I know what's going on right now. I can tell. Um, and I just need you to know that like, this is not just affecting you now. Like, you know, you, you just sat here. Cause in that, in that, uh, appointment, we had talked about like, you know, my dreams of one day being a wife and a mother and all these things. And she was like, this isn't just affecting you right now. Like if you continue down this path, this will affect, you know, the ability of one day you being able to have children. And these are things that you need to start working on now. And so, um, it was after that appointment that I really, really started to try to get healthy And like I said, that was not like, oh my gosh, okay, one day I'm just like totally fine. Everything's good to go. Um, But being able to just take small action steps. So starting small, but starting now um, and being able to walk in that. And like I said, counseling, when I started that, that was huge for me, being able to figure out the why and talk through things and then um, being able to find accountability. Um, And so, you know, my husband, he's been fantastic in that sense. Um, But also um, my best friend, Rachel, she's incredible. She's been a support to me for the last 10 years. I mean, she's been there at like some of my lowest moments. Um, And so she still will check in with me like usually every couple of weeks just to see like, hey, how's your mind doing? Like, are you struggling? Are you like, what are things that you can be getting better in? How can I be praying for you in these kind of in these situations? Sounds like you have a great support system around you. Yeah. What were some of the revelations that you got in counseling that helped you um, overcome the, the eating disorders? Ooh. You know, I think mostly just being able to realize, like, I think, so at the same time, my husband, who I was dating at the time, was also going through counseling for different things. Um, and it's so easy. It was so easy for me before that. He had been doing counseling before I, I had been. 
And it was so easy for me to look at the situation and be like, oh, he needs this, like grew up in like a broken uh, broken home, like without a father, those types of things. Like it makes sense why he is going through counseling and not realizing then like for me, no, this is beneficial for me too. And so he was the one who actually encouraged me to start doing it. Um, and so being able to realize like the root issues of um, obviously like my, I struggled with my self-image, but there were reasons why. So I never understood the whys. And so being able to like trace it back to as like early as, you know, such a young age of seven years old and realizing like, oh, this is kind of what started things. And, oh, I respond in this way because of the relationship that I had with this person or. um, And so honestly, just from like such a young age, realizing the triggers that led me to where I am now, um, it felt like that was one of the only things that I could really have control over. Um, and you know, I like, I, I would say I'm a control freak in some sense. And so, (laughs) um, full circle, just being able to recognize like all these different things from an early age on, I don't know. I know that's like a ton of information and kind of vague, but yeah, realizing the different relationships and how they, I guess, triggered different things within me. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. And I I like how you hit on the control piece. Mm -hmm. I know, Again, speaking from my own experience, that that was a major part of, oh, yeah. of my eating disorder. Yeah. You, you feel like everything around you is is out of control and there's nothing you can do about it. And so you kind of zone in on that one thing you can control and it spirals downward really quickly. Yep. And I think another thing, again, speaking from my own experience of kind of keeping, I don't know what you'd call it, like sobriety mm-hmm. or like just like <laughs> recovery from an eating disorder. Yeah. Um, is, is really kind of identifying your triggers mm-hmm. of knowing that, Hey, if, if I am around this or exposed to this, or if someone says this, that could be a trigger for me. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to identify your triggers? Oh yeah. Big time. Yep. So I know like, um, you know, there's different things on Instagram that, um, I, I like can't follow. Um, a lot of those things are like different fitness accounts or um, uh, different things like that where th- that will cause me to spiral some or, you know, like um, my husband and I just had this conversation. There's like the latest trend lately in the fitness world has been like what I eat in a day kind of thing, these posts that they share. And it's this abundance of food and it's always like 3,000 calories, you know, 5,000 calories. And in my mind, immediately I'm thinking like, you can't do that. There's no way you can do that. And how can you look like that if you do that? You know, you have to, there's, there has to be something that you're doing on the side. Um, and so those I recognize are probably more so triggers for me. Um, but like for me, I know that, um, and this isn't the case for everybody, but like I had a tendency to binge a lot of the things that I was eating. And so for me, I have tracked religiously what I eat, literally everything that I eat for years. And some people will say that's like, I mean, I'm sure it is an element of control for sure. But for me being able to recognize like these are the things that I'm eating and making sure that I'm hitting all of my goals as far as like proteins, fiber, carbs, those types of things. Um, if I'm not doing those things, then it's that much easier for me to be like, oh, I'm just going to have this and then I'm going to have more of this and I'm going to have more of that. And then I feel terrible at the end of the night. And then I feel like, well, I know how I could solve this, but I'm not going to do that. So then I'm struggling with like some inner anxiety of like, well, now I know I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to step on the scale. And, um, and so these are like things that I still feel like I walk through pretty frequently, but 
being able, again, to go to the Word, take every thought captive, be in prayer. Like um, something that I have to pray over myself every single day is just having self-control. And some of that is like, this sounds like such a silly prayer, but I will pray every day like, Lord, help me to have self-control in what I'm eating and how much I'm eating. Like let this be something that's beneficial to my body, that brings it life, that brings it health. Like I don't want to just like eat to eat or do, you know, make poor decisions. Like I want to, I want to uh, eat and put into my body, I guess, things that glorify you and bless you and bring me healthy thinking. And so I know it's such a silly prayer, but I feel like it really does set my mind straight. Um, well, I, I don't think it sounds silly. I think that just shows that you're very aware yes. of of what you need. Yeah. You know, you're, you're practicing mindfulness and yes. that's probably something that you learn in therapy as well. But just being uh, aware yeah. of, hey, this is something that I could struggle with today. This is something that I need help with. And like the only person who can really help me with this is my creator, is, is Jesus Christ. And so to me, I, I don't think that sounds silly. I think that shows wisdom and just good self-awareness. Mm, thank you. What would you say to uh, anyone who's currently struggling with an eating disorder, struggling with, with body image, particularly, you know, women, young women, what, what would you tell them? What advice do you have for them? Yeah, I would say right away, find help. I mean, that was the biggest thing for me that I wish I would have done at a younger age. Um, it's so easy to feel like, well, one, to be able to feel like this isn't really that big of a problem. It's fine. I have control over it. Um, but that spirals really quickly. So being able to find someone that you trust, whether that's like a youth leader or um, a mentor or whatever that might be, um, being able to find someone who maybe you even know has struggled in the same thing, that they can hold you accountable and be able to get you on the right track. Um, the other thing is counseling. Counseling, I think, has um, a stigma to it, but it's such a beautiful thing. Like, I would not be where I am today if I hadn't gone through counseling. I think it's crucial. I think everybody should be in counseling. <laughs> and so if that's something that you would want to pursue, I know Terry has great resources on that and could definitely um, get you hooked up with that. We'll go back to high school. You graduate high school or senior year. Let's go to senior year of high school. Did you know what you wanted to do right You know, after you graduated? I had a pretty good idea of it. Um, I knew that I, like I had said, I wanted to do music. Um, I had a few different offers um, to be able to dance, um, just different. I had been looking at different schools that offered um, different programs for that. So being able to study different things um, and then dance on the side um, and do that just as like continuing through college. I never wanted to like pursue a career in dance. I just always enjoyed it. Um, and so I knew, though, I had I had made some choices um, in my later years of high school that I was not going down the best path, I guess. Um, you know, just going back to that idea of insecurity and wanting to fit in and do all these things. Like, um, I definitely walked through a season of making poor decisions, poor choices, um, following the crowd, I guess. Um, and so I knew that if I didn't go to North Central, then I probably wasn't going to make good decisions at other schools. Um, you know, for those of you who don't know, North Central is a Christian school. They've got uh, some pretty, I don't want to say strict guidelines, but you are able to, they, they put a huge emphasis on building your faith 
um, through the classes that you're taking. Um, and so I recognized at that point, like I needed to make a change. Um, and so I decided I would go to North Central and pursue music. So um, again, as I had said, I knew that I wanted to pursue some type of music um, in what capacity I wasn't totally sure. Um, but yeah, I would say in, in high school, my senior year, I still always had felt like, yeah, I'll probably go to North Central. I'll probably do this. Mm -hmm. And so leaving home again, leaving the the small pond Mm -hmm. and going to, you know, kind of the big ocean there of the twin cities, I I can't help but think about, you know, faith, you know, you, you grew up in the ministry, grew up in a home, you know, that were, that was just ingrained in you when you went off to college. How firm in, in your faith did you feel like, did you feel like you had made like your faith your own? I, and just talking to other PKs, pastors, kids, I know that sometimes that can be a, a hard transition to go from kind of like living off your family's faith to then making it your own. So what was that like for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's funny that I felt like North Central would be like my saving grace, you know, because who you are attracts you know, like-minded people. Um, and so when I went to college, I had definitely good friends for sure, but there was also different people who I found myself being attracted to, navigating to that also made poor decisions. And so, um, my first year of North Central, I feel like I, I definitely made, I continued on that path of poor decisions. And I think that's because I, had relied so heavily on my parents' faith growing up that I didn't even know how to make it my own. You know, like I never got into the word. Like the idea of praying more than like two minutes was like, how does anybody do this? You know? Um, And so it wasn't until I fast forward a little bit. I ended up leaving North Central after my first year just from, from some financial, uh, decisions, um, realizing like I wasn't totally set in what I wanted to do. My parents and I still weren't seeing totally eye to eye on it. Um, and so I knew that I needed to just take a little bit of time off because I was still making these poor decisions. I'm learning now that maybe I'm, maybe I was running. (laughs) Oh man. Um, what do you think you were running from? You know, I think just the idea of failing and, um, I never wanted to hit rock bottom. And so, when the going got tough, it was easy for me to just jet and find something different and hope that would maybe work out. Um, so I ended up having an opportunity. Um, we have some great friends who live down in Sarasota, Florida. Um, and there was an opportunity that was presented to me to go down there and work, help out a little bit with like a local church down there, um, and live with one of our friends. And so I felt like, well, I'm not really doing anything else right now. So I could just do this for a season. And I really feel like that was the season where I got my life on track. Um, so I ended up moving down to Sarasota. I really didn't know that many people at all, just like, um, you know, our couple of friends, family friends that we had, um, got involved in this church and really started to build a community that was like people who were full of faith. Um, and so being able to really take that season, it was just like a couple of months that I was down there. Um, but taking that season to truly dive in and learn what it meant to have a true relationship in the Lord, like what it meant to open up my Bible and actually like be moved by what I was reading and transformed by it. And then being able to pray um, by myself and pray for others, pray for healing. Like, I just feel like it was such a season where my faith was increased. Um, And I, I really believe that that was like the turning point in my faith for me. Mm -hmm. 
So cool that you had that opportunity. Yeah. Now, I've heard that your family lives in Florida now. Yeah, yes. So I was the first one to live down there. Um, ended up coming home because my dad had had some health issues that he was struggling with at the time. Um, so I came back home um, and did technical college for like a semester and then went back to North Central. Um, but then um, a couple of years later, my parents had decided to transition out of ministry and just kind of pursue some different paths. Um, and so... They had always wanted to live somewhere warm, and because our family friends were down there and they they knew they loved the area, um, they just decided, like, well, we're in our 50s, let's let's go for it. And so they just picked up everything they owned, moved down there. Um, my younger brother lived down there for a season with them. He ended up back up here. Um, and then my older brother lived down there for a season as well. He also ended up back up here. So my parents are still down there. They had every – like, they were – fully convinced that our whole family would end up down there. I think now they'll probably end up back up here. <laughs> <laughs> Funny yeah. how that works, right? Yes. yes. And who would have thought, you know, trading Florida for Minnesota, you know, as far as you and your siblings, oh, yeah. right? Yep. So then you go back to North Central and you uh, go back to pursuing, you know, music mm-hmm. and you end up graduating. Yes. After graduation, what do you do? What does life look like? Yes. So I had um, gotten a call. I graduated in 2015. Um, I got a call in 2014 from Denny Kern, and we've known Denny um, most of my life, so he's been in ministry um, really as long as I've been alive, um, and he has he had pastored at the church that my dad had been at prior, and so we had always had a, a relationship with him. My brother actually married um, one of his daughters, and so there's that connection has always been there. So Denny had called me when I was going into my senior year of college in 2014. Um, I remember I was on a road trip with my older brother going to Virginia and Denny had called and was like, what do you think about coming and working for me? Um, and I was like, well, you know, I, I still have a year of college left. He's like, well, what if, like, what if we hired you and you came and just worked like a couple days a week? I was like, oh, let me think on it. Well, I just felt like I don't want to end up in a small town. I, this is not where I feel called to. Um, and, you know, I, I had been really involved at a church in the cities that I loved. And I really felt like there was a potential for me to be on staff there. And so I ended up calling him back and just letting him know, like, hey, I don't think this is this is the right timing. Like, thank you for thinking of me, but no thanks. <laughs> so then he ended up calling me again um, in November of that year um, and saying, like, well, why don't you just come to our house for Thanksgiving? Um, you can just, like, maybe help with the service and just let us know what you think. So, again, I came here, which is so crazy to me, led worship with Derek, I think, uh, for that service and still kind of felt like, no, I'm not really interested. So River of Life had used me a couple times after that. Like, I came for a youth service and helped um, with this, like, dating and love series they were doing they had Derek and I sing a love song which at the time was like so weird to me that we would sing this love song we both were so uncomfortable because we didn't we had been friends in college and we did music stuff together in college but like not at all interested in one another so Mm -hmm. the idea of like singing this intimate love song with one another in front of all these people was so awkward yeah I kind of cringed just hearing (laughs) that yes um and so we ended up uh he ended up reaching out to me again in May of that year or April or something um, and had asked me again, like, so this was the third time. He's like, you know what? I know that you've told, you've told me no now two other times, but he said, what if you just come out, spend the day, meet my staff. And then at the end of the day, if you feel like this is, you absolutely don't want to be here, then fine. I won't ask you again. 
And so at the time I had went and met with my mentor who was on staff at the church that I had been attending and just let him know kind of what I was thinking and like wanted to see what the, what the future looked like at this church. And you know, that church, like I said, incredible church, they were going through a ton of transition that, that was coming up in the, in the next couple of months that I was not aware of the senior pastor would be retiring. And, um, there were just a lot of changes that were going to be happening. Eventually that my mentor who I had at the time had stepped into the associate role at the church. Um, and so I ended up, uh, just talking to him and he's like, you know what, right now, I think if you have a door open, you should take it. So that really, I felt like that gave me a release in my heart of like, okay, I'm just going to pursue this and see if I, if it doesn't work out, if I don't feel peace about it, then I, I know I can keep nannying. I can keep working here. Like as an intern, I can keep serving. Great. Um, and I ended up coming here on a Tuesday and just spending the whole day with the staff, met with Denny, got to hear his heart and vision a little bit. And I remember leaving thinking like, I don't want to be anywhere else. Like I want, I have caught the vision. I love this church and I want to be a part of what they're doing. Um, and so Denny ended up calling me the next day and offered me the position. So I ended up moving here like a month later and now I've been on staff for six years. Wow. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So cool. Have you ever asked Denny why, like, why did you want me so bad? Cause I mean, what a compliment, yeah. what a honor for him to, you know, three times, mm-hmm. you know, and I think there's something behind that number two, you know, three. Yeah. Um, have you ever asked any, like, what was it about me that just you wouldn't give up on me? Yeah. You know, I think the thing that I love so much about Denny is that he's so intentional about the staff that he chooses. Um, he hires people who have he who he recognizes has different giftings than him. And so like one thing that he has always shared with me was that like, well, with all of our staff, I should say, is that he doesn't necessarily hire for talent. He hires for like personality and character, Um, which, you know, that's not an insult. The fact that he doesn't hire for talent. Um, In in fact, it's like quite the opposite, you know, the fact that he's willing to trust us and um, really I guess, trust us to lead his church, his congregation based off of what he sees in our personality and character. Um, and so he'll always say that I light up a room. That's his, his go-to phrase for me, which is so sweet. Um, and I think he just, Denny loves so well. He's such a good pastor. And not only is he a good pastor, he's a great father figure. Like he's been such a blessing to my husband and I. So my husband, uh, grew up in a home where his biological father was not present. He had a wonderful man who raised him, but that was later on. Um, and so for Denny to step in and like really see that need for both Derek and I in that, like in that loving father figure who was here and present was such a beautiful thing for us. Like we, we know that we can go to him for anything. And so, um, all of that to say, I guess I'm, I haven't really asked him why, um, that's a good question. I think I need to now. Yeah. I would encourage you to yeah, do that. Yeah. It's so funny. So then you, you move back, mm-hmm. what, 15 minutes from where you grew up and you yep. never would have thought you'd be back in the area and, uh, you know, get your first kind of like full-time big girl job, right? Yeah. What happens next? Yes. So, um, yeah, it was 2015 was just like a whirlwind of a year. So I um, graduate college. I moved to a new town. I'm on I'm really on my own, like for the first time ever in the sense that, like, I'm paying all my own bills. You know, throughout college, my parents were incredible and really helped me a lot. Um, So I'm paying all my own bills. I'm um, finding a place to live. I'm I have a salary, you know, like all these different things that are crazy. Like my car insurance is my own. Um, 
I had a ton of friends who in that season of life were getting married. So it was like a ton of involvement in weddings and things like that. Um, and in November of 2015, I had, uh, I have always loved like working out, health, exercise, things like that. Um, and so I had really stepped up my game, I guess, in 2015 when it came to exercise. And I had noticed, um, in November, as I said, of 2015, that I had found a lump in my in my chest. Um, and so as I started to, I, I remember thinking like, this doesn't feel right. But again, we were in such a crazy season that I was like, I just, I don't even have time to like get this looked into. Well, I ended up in December making an appointment because it had, that lump had continued to grow. And I just started feeling a little bit like, I just remember I was getting really tired all the time. And like, I just, I had lost a ton of weight in the course of one month. And it wasn't from my exercising. It wasn't from any of these things. Like, it just, like, fell off me. And I just remember feeling like I am not – there's something wrong. So I ended up going to see my doctor in December. um, And she was wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, But at the time, there had been a lapse in my health insurance. Um, When I started at River of Life, um, I was at that, like, prime age of, like, where you're no longer in your parents' insurance. And then my insurance kind of dropped. Whatever. It was a long story. Um, So I actually had no insurance at that point. And it wouldn't renew until January. And so I remember talking to my doctor about it. It was, like, probably the middle of December and just sharing with her, like, I don't have insurance. So if this is something that's, like, super crucial, then – I guess let's look into it. But if not, like if we can just wait until January to really start looking into this, that would be awesome. And I remember her having her concerns, but also like us both coming to the conclusion of like, we're going into the holidays. I don't like if something is wrong, I I just want to be able to experience this holiday season normal. Um, and so we ended up waiting. Um, and then my first appointment uh, was January 4th of 2016. Um, and then from January 4th until January 15th, I did like every test in the book um, on this lump. Um, and then on uh, the 15th, I ended up, well, on the 14th, I ended up getting a call from uh, the clinic just saying like, hey, I think you need to come in and talk about this. Um, and up until that point, I hadn't shared really with anybody. I think there was like two people that I had told um, that I was going in for um, appointments just because I didn't think it was about that big of a deal. And then when it started to become a bigger deal, I didn't even know how to tell people. Um, And so I remember I was really open with uh, Desiree St. John. She's one of my best friends. She's been a mentor to me for the last how many years. Um, And then I remember my older brother, who's in the medical field, had noticed that I hadn't been feeling very well. Like he had just like picked up on different signs and things like that. And he just point out, asked me one day, like, are you okay? What's going on? So I kind of shared with him a little bit, but I was very vague. Um, And so on the 14th, I had to call all my family members (laughs) and tell them like, oh, just so you know, I've been going in for all these tests and I think I might have cancer. So imagine how well my parents received that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, mom. (laughs) Um, So on the 15th, I ended up going in and uh, my doctor had uh, shared with me that I, they had found breast cancer. Um, And so, you know, at that point I was 24 years old, not married, not in any type of relationship, just like really starting my life. Um, And it's not like, you know, for me, like I was young and I was healthy and like I was making the right choices with food and I was like I just really stopped struggling with my eating disorder and like um, all these like exciting big things were happening and my body was healthy, you know. Um, So the idea of 
receiving this diagnosis was such like a shock to not only me, but everyone really like there was really no cancer history in my family whatsoever. It was super random. Um, and so I remember, um, I had a great friend who had went with me to that appointment. Um, and she just drove me around and we called people and, um, I remember going, my brother at the time worked for a tire place in St. Joe and he had kind of known. And I remember just like pulling up to his shop and walking, how I get emotional. Yeah. Thinking about it, but, um, walking inside, it's like he knew as soon as he saw, um, and then like calling my older brother and telling him and then telling my parents and yeah, it's just like, there's so much unknown in it. You know, um, and then coming in uh, that night, I had to tell um, Kirby and Desiree St. John that I had lived with them at the time. I said Desiree is like one of my best friends. So I told them and then um, Denny and Cheryl had been out of town um, that weekend. They were getting back the next night. But my doctor had said, like, we need to move quickly. Like, this is very aggressive. So we need to start your treatment like Monday. And so I knew I had to get the word out immediately. One, to have people praying, but two, like there's, because I just have such strong connections with people, I didn't want to make anyone feel like they, I didn't want anyone, I didn't want just anyone to find out on Facebook, you know, like I felt like they deserved that phone call. And so I remember waking up the next morning and I called literally like 70 people and told them (laughs) it was such an exhausting day. And I remember so many people thinking like the, this is so funny to me. I would call people and like, hey, I just need to tell you something. And everyone, everyone thought I was either going to say I was leaving River of Life <laughs> or I was pregnant. <laughs> Which both of them like, what? <laughs> I wasn't dating anyone. And like, I just started. So super funny. Um, but I ended up, yeah, having all these conversations with people, letting them know. And then we had we had uh, texted the staff like, hey, can we just have everyone meet tonight at um, Kirby and Des's house? And so Denny literally showed up, like all the staff was there. Denny showed up. I remember telling him like in one of their downstairs bedrooms, like, I just need you to know this before everyone else. I have cancer. I have no idea what this is going to look like, but I, I have to, we have to tell people now because like I'm, I have to start this stuff on Monday. And everyone, I just remember being so shocked. Like, again, everyone thought like, oh, Ashley's probably leaving. Like, that's why they call it, why they, they called us here and. If you ask my husband, who he was on staff at the time too, he'll say, when I said I had cancer, he was like, oh, that's not so bad. Like, I thought you were going to say you were leaving. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, cancer did not seem like that big of a deal. Oh, man. <laughs> it's so funny. Um and so, yeah, we ended up uh, that night, the, the staff came around and just, like, prayed for me. And, like, we just came up with an action plan. The next morning, we told the church and um, – Really, I started the, the process the next day of, like, chemo and surgeries and all of the things that go along with it. Um, and so it was a very – I say that it's, like, one of the fastest seasons of my life, but also, like, the most daunting, slowest seasons that I ever walked through. Um, because it's, like, you know, you, you receive this big news that is, like – such a tragedy to yourself personally and people are there for you. Like I had an incredible support system throughout the whole process, but like, you know, life goes on for people, you know? So you're stuck in this current tragedy and you're just trying to get through it where other people, their lives are moving on. Like things are happening for them. It's exciting. And it can feel like it can almost feel like you've been forgotten. And that's, I know that that's not people's intentions at all. It's just like, this is life and this is where we're going. Um, And so, yeah, I ended up uh, for the next, like, 
that was from February until um, I went through chemo until June. Um, and then it was around like September that I feel like I finally started feeling a little bit of normalcy. And that was like, you know, about six or seven months. Wow. Mm -hmm. I want to back up a little bit and go to that moment in the doctor's room. You're Mm -hmm. sitting, you know, in the chair or on the table and they come in and, you know, give you those daunting words that no one wants to hear. You have cancer. Mm -hmm. You said you were shocked, uh, you know, rightfully so. What else was going through your mind? Like what, what were you feeling in that moment? Yeah. You know, I think, um, I think, I've been, I've always had a spirit of discernment, um, that gut intuition. And so going into it, I had a pretty good feeling of what they were going to tell me. And so surprisingly, I feel like I was really able to keep my emotions intact and like, not even like I was just trying to be strong for people, but like, I, I really just felt a peace about it. Um, in those moments, you know, obviously you think of the future. Like I just felt like, Lord, I know. So like, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm called to be a wife and a mother. And like, I feel like I have so much still ahead of me. And now that I received this news, like this can't be it. Like I can't just get, receive all these things now. And then like, Oh, just getting your cancer. Like you're gone, you know? And so I think there was just such feelings of confusion of like, well, how is this going to play out? I don't even understand. Um, but also in that confusion, I feel like I was oftentimes met with peace. Yeah. So don't get me wrong, though. That's that season. Like there were some really good days and there were some really terrible days where I like I remember. So I it started out where I had surgery right away. They had to do a double mastectomy. And that is like the worst thing in the world. Terrible, terrible recovery. (laughs) Um, And so I was in the hospital for like four or five days after that. Um, And when they had like tested, they went in, checked my lymph nodes, things like that. And then they removed the tumor, which at that point had doubled in size from the, when they found it, um, from January 15th until, um, February, February 4th, it wow. doubled in size. Yeah. So, so they, it was really rapidly growing. Yeah. They weren't kidding when they said yep. it was rapidly growing. Yeah. Um, and so at that point I just was like, I felt so full of faith. Like I'm not going to need chemo. I'm healed. Like I'm, I'm good where we can move forward in this. And I remember getting the call. My mom was with me. We we're sitting on the bed and my, my doctor had called me and she was like, because of your age and because of how rapid this tumor has been growing. And really because you are now in this spot of like, we don't really know what your future looks like. Like what's the chance of reoccurrence and things like that. She's like, I'm advising you that you need to do chemo. And I just remember feeling like, no, like at, I had already been the cancer patient, but I, you know, I still like had my femininity, femininity is that word, Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like I, I didn't look like a cancer patient. Um, And I just was like, the idea of looking weak to others was so hard for me to grasp because so far it was like, I already went through the surgery. I already had those things. Like, I feel like part of my womanhood was already stripped from me and taken. And now all of a sudden I have to do chemo. Well, with chemo, like there's a very good chance that, I mean, it, it does. Chemo destroys your reproductive system. And so at that point I'm thinking like, well, okay. So I've already been stripped of my womanhood and now I'm being told that I have to do chemo, which means like, am I ever going to be able to have babies of my own? 
am I ever going to like, am, with that, like, am I ever going to find someone who wants to marry me who's really willing to take that risk, yeah. you know? And feeling just like, what the heck, God? Like, where are you now? Um, and so I ended up, I had like less than two weeks before I had to start chemo. And so I had to go through the process then of like fertilizing my eggs, doing all these things for the possibility of like, well, there's a chance one day you could use these. Maybe not. You never know. Um, and so having to do that and then. Um, which, which again, sorry to interrupt, but at 24 years old to be going through all that, man, I, I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's just a a ton of choices. And I kept thinking, like, selfishly, this would be so much easier if I had someone to make these choices with, you know? Like, even when it came to freezing my eggs. So, um, uh, back history with my husband. I knew from, like, uh, July of 26, yeah, July of 2015, actually, I was going to marry him. I was like, it wasn't like one of these cheesy things, like, God told me you're going to marry him. It was just one of those situations where I was like, I'm, I just, I know this is who I'm going to marry. He felt it too, but he was much slower moving than I was. <laughs> um, and so now fast forward to freezing my eggs in February and doing all these things, um, or January. I um, remember actually being like, being in this period of like, do I want to do this or do I not? Because it's very expensive. It's very invasive on your body and it's very time consuming. And it's two weeks of like giving away your life essentially. And I remember I, so I ended up having someone who donated to pay for that, which like, that is like $10,000 and someone paid for that, which, you know, right away, that should have been my first time. Like the Lord is in this, yeah. but no, that wasn't enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> so then I just remember thinking like, this is way too invasive. Like I would have to drive to the cities every morning to do tests in the cities from where we live is an hour and a half away. So the idea of doing that was like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to, how am I going to go from this? Um, and I remember actually being very worked up one day and Derek was in the office and I remember again me me thinking like I think I'm gonna marry this guy I remember feeling like I was having the conversation with him and I was just telling him like I don't even know if I want to do this like it's not worth it to me and I remember him saying here's the thing Ashley if down the road I had someone that I was married to and they said well I mean, everything was paid for and it had the time frame like perfectly laid out and all these things. But I just was like, I just didn't want to do it. And that took away our possibility of being able to have kids. He's like, I would be disappointed. You know, like if you have this in front of you, I think you should do it. Like, yes, it's two weeks of your time. That is inconvenient. But he's like, what happens down the road? Like if, you know, you're unable to have children and this is what really saves you is the process of being able to use your eggs that were harvested. So I remember thinking like, okay, well, you're probably the one I'm going to marry, so I'll do this for you. (laughs) (laughs) What a trooper. What a trooper. And so um, I ended up, yeah, going through that whole process, had my surgery, went through chemo, it was four rounds of chemo, um, and then had another surgery after that. And so, um, like I said, recovery ended up being like more so around like September. So where I started feeling like, okay, now we're stepping into some normal. And what was chemo like? Yes. Um, You know, I would say that I had the best case scenario with chemo. So it's hard for me sometimes to be able to share my experience with those who have maybe just received a diagnosis or who are going through chemo right now because, like, 
keep in mind, I was 24 years old. I was very active. I was healthy. Um, and so my body responded pretty well to it. Um, don't get me wrong. I got sick and I would be tired, but like I never missed a workout in that season. Um, I was able to take walks each day that after my chemo infusions, Um, and I remember being like super nauseous and it definitely taking a toll on my body. But if you ask people around me, they'll tell you that they would have never guessed that I was a chemo patient. Um, the other thing too, so like, you know, the, I think with women specifically, the biggest thing with chemo is like, I'm going to have to lose my hair. And I had been growing out my hair for a really long time at that point. Specifically, I remember having a conversation with someone in, in college, like, couple years, it was probably like 2012 or something. And I was like, all right, I'm only going to do trims until I get married because I want to have long, beautiful hair on my wedding day. And so I had stuck to that. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, dang, now I'm going to lose all my hair. Are you kidding me? And The so, wedding's ruined. Right. <laughs> the wedding that was like not even planned at that point. Um, and so I, I had done a ton of research um, and ended up finding um, this organization and – they're called cold caps, essentially. So um, these cold caps have not been approved by the FDA. However, um, if you go to Europe, it's like what everybody uses who's going through chemo. Um, and there's companies here in Minneapolis who um, provide provide the use of it. And again, it's pretty expensive and it's a very like you have to at least have a week, a week's time before um, – you start your chemo to get your body prepared for it. Um, and so I ended up being able to use this cold cap, which um, is, a, I don't know, I would describe it as like a turban kind of. So it was like these cold uh, cold ice packs, but they were filled with dry ice. And you could keep them on your head for like, I think it was like less than an hour at a time, and then they would have to switch it out. So the concept was that this, um, it would freeze your hair follicles um, so the chemo couldn't reach it. And so I ended up doing this during each of my infusions. And it's a super, I mean, there's so much more to it. If you have questions, look up cold cap therapy. Um, it's incredible. But um, I ended up only losing like 30% of my hair. And for people like people around me who are really close to me, they could tell. And obviously I could tell. But like the the vast majority had no idea whatsoever. It was just like this totally, I don't know, is incredible. And so I feel like for me, I that was one less thing that made me feel like a cancer patient. Like people couldn't visibly see like, oh, she lost all of her hair. She must be going through chemo. Yeah. And that was really important to me too. I just wanted to maintain normalcy. I wanted people to treat me the same. And, you know, we have uh, like some of our staff had made jokes of like, all right, well, I'm still going to make fun of you. And I'm still going to do all these different things. And that's what I wanted. You know, I just wanted things to maintain as much normalcy as we could. Yeah. I remember, and you probably don't remember this, but – I think it was shortly after, you know, we found out that you had cancer and you were starting your treatment. Uh, my wife and I ran into you at Target. You were at one with one of your friends. And I remember looking at you and, and you looked tired, obviously, oh, yeah. you know, rightfully so. But you still looked just full of like life and full of like joy and hope and not not like a fake sense of of joy and hope. I you know, as a therapist and just, you know, having the Holy Spirit, I feel like I'm pretty good at discerning, yeah. you know, when people are kind of faking that, like you genuinely seemed like full of faith, full of hope that 
this sucks, but I'm going to overcome this. Oh, yeah. Jesus is, is going to, you know, give me the victory over this. Yeah. And it sounds like you had that attitude most of the time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, there's peaks and valleys oh, yeah. throughout, throughout the way. But yeah. uh, so you did treatment for eight, nine months. Mm-hmm. And September is when you said that you were starting to feel better and kind of more like yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So actually just going back to what you had just said, I remember having a conversation um, with one of our staff members and I just remember telling her like, here's the thing at the end of the day, I, there's no getting out of this. Like I have to go through this season and that sucks. But um, something that I've always, my dad said this to me my whole life, um, your life and its surroundings are a direct reflection of your own attitude. And so I remember thinking like in this season, I can choose joy and I can choose to take away whatever the Lord has for me in this season. And I can choose to be a blessing for people in this season, even on some hard days, or I can just play the victim card and I can relish in that. So which one am I going to choose? And so that's where it was really easy. I feel like the the Holy Spirit really did fill me with like such a joy and a confidence and a peace in that time. And um, yeah, it was really cool to experience that. Yeah. 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 Uh, So then going back to September, you're you're feeling better. When did you kind of get the, you know, coast is clear, you're, you're good, the cancer is gone? Yeah, I would say that was probably like October, November. Um, I started taking um, medication. It was like, a, it's um, a continued chemo. And so I've taken that for the last five years now. Um, and recently was able to, um, recently given the go ahead to go off of it when I feel like I'm ready. Um, a lot of that is just for like um, purposes of starting a family one day for us. Um, and so I have been taking that pill just as more of like a preventative. Um, But at this point, actually, at my last appointment um, this year, she had said, like, your numbers look great. Things look good. There's no really no fear of reoccurrence at this point, which is incredible. I mean, so cool. So cool. Because I recognize, like, all around me, stories are very different. And for me to be able to have the season that, yes, was difficult, but also, like, I often tell people that that was like one of the best seasons for me. So many good things came out of that season. Like, um, you know, my, my relationship with my husband came out of that season and me realizing like, I want to be at river of life because I love this community. I'm invested into this community that came out of that season. Um, I gained a better health, like, uh, information, knowledge on my health and body and like just more aware of those things. And honestly, the, the biggest thing was just that my faith was so strengthened. Mm-hmm. It was a huge, huge blessing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Faith. It sounds like the combination of faith and choosing to have a positive mindset is, is, were keys to you getting through this, you know, obviously along with the treatments and medications that goes without saying, but that, that mental battle that's there, you know, because obviously cancer isn't just a physical battle. It's a mental battle. It's it's an emotional battle. And it sounds like you did the battle well. Thank you. Yeah. Struggled well. Yes. Struggled well. I like that. (laughs) I like that. So other than taking that, that medication, is there any other like follow-up things that you have to do or just be aware of, you know, kind of going forward? Yeah. So I just, um, my first few years, I would see the doctor like three times a year. That was the first year. Second year went down to two times. And once the third year hit, I was able to just go in once a year with her. So just doing like the yearly checkups, making sure 
Um, again, like I said earlier, I have such an awareness now of my body. So I recognize like when things are maybe not right or um, whatever. And so I've been able at this point, like I feel like it's just normal. Actually, most times this sounds terrible, but I forget a lot of the times that I <laughs> had cancer. People yeah. bring it up. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> I did have that. That did happen to me. <laughs> yeah. 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 When you hear the words, Ashley, you are a cancer survivor. What comes to mind? Oh, man, it's so surreal. It feels like it was a different life for me. But it also, like, I just feel like I have so much joy and even excitement as I think about what's ahead and realizing, like, there's a reason why the Lord let me survive. You know, there's there's purpose in that survivorship. And so being able now to step into what that purpose is. It's kind of been a thread throughout this uh, time together is, you know, talking about your husband, Derek, here and there, you know, just, uh, you know, it sounds like you guys met in college and then ended up working at the same church. So why, why don't we maybe finish with your with your little love story there with yes. Derek as far as <laughs> um, tell us how, you know, how you guys actually got into a re- relationship. You said it was during your season of, of chemo and mm-hmm. treatments that you guys entered into a relationship. So kind of. Um, so the running joke is De- uh, Derek started on staff a year before I did. And the running joke is that Denny hired me with the intention that I would marry him. <laughs> he totally knew. Um, and so we, like I said, had been friends for um, quite a few years before that. We've known each other since 2012 um, and had done worship stuff together in the past. And so when we came to, when I came on staff here, um, we hit it off instantly. I mean, I I remember at that point, like really getting to know him better. And um, if you know my husband, you know that he's very quiet, he's reserved, he's pretty introverted. He seems very serious um, and just very put together. But realizing like he is, probably one of the funniest people you'll ever meet. He's got this like humor to him that is so dry and he's just, he speaks with intention. And so he jokes with intention too. So I just, I love it. He's sarcastic and he's so funny and he's so filled with wisdom. And I remember just like having these times. So when I was going through chemo, we had, um, at the time I was living with Kirby and Desiree St. John. Um, they're incredible. And, um, we were on a a prison break kick. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's taking it back a little bit. Yes. So it was like still, it was like old even when we, when we watched it in 2016. But like <laughs> we loved it. So we watched that. We had watched like, I think it's like nine seasons or something. I don't know. I might be wrong. Um, but we would watch that like every night while I was going through chemo. And something with chemo is there's steroids. And so like I would struggle to sleep a little bit, which like Kirby and Des and Derek would probably argue that's not true. But I just loved being around people. So even if it meant me falling asleep by everybody, I was like still with them hanging, you know. Um, And so Derek would come over a lot of times. And I remember there were quite a few nights where Kirby and Des would fall asleep on the couch and then Derek and I would just like stay up talking. And um, that was especially in that season where I feel like we really, really got to know each other. And so we actually did, uh, that was 2016. We actually didn't start dating until 2017, a year later. So you guys really took your time with this. Yes. Yes, (laughs) we did. You know, um, I understand now hindsight is so much better than foresight. Um, But my husband has a really incredible story, um, but he really struggled with anxiety and commitment and things like that. Um, He too ended up going to counseling just from different things from his past. And um, it was in that season where he was pursuing counseling and really able to just be 
freed, I guess, of the the bondage, the sin, the destruction, I guess, that uh, he had been facing at the time. So um, we both it, we both were in a very healthy spot, I would say, in 2017 when we started our relationship. A healthier spot, I should say, than we were. <laughs> Took a lot of growing still. Yeah. And so you guys start dating. Eventually, he pops the question. Yes. You guys get married. I go back to the comment that you made when, when you were going through chemo as far as like, who's going to want, you know, a wife who, you know, yeah. has to go through all this and, you know. Take the risk. Take the risk, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, we may get pregnant. We may not get pregnant. And so finding that man, finding Derek, what maybe just kind of a stupid, obvious question, but what was that like to finally find that man of your dreams? Yeah. You know, I tell people often that I feel like the Lord best reveals his love for me through Derek because Derek is so gracious and gentle and he listens and I can be the worst person in the world. And he's still just like so patient and kind to me. Um, He carries the fruits of the spirit so well. Um, And, for him, it was like that those have never been fears for him whatsoever. You know, like um, when the time comes that we're ready to start a family, we it's like something that we talk about with excitement. But it's also like if that means that our family is through adoption, that's awesome. That's incredible. Yeah. You know, neither of us have that fear. Um, and I think that going back to my thoughts back in 2016 of like, oh my gosh, no one's ever going to want this. Um, That was totally the enemy. I mean, totally the enemy putting those lies in my head. Because I think looking at it now, it seems like so silly to me that I even thought that. Um, Seeing the way that Derek loves me and like he continues to choose me, even knowing like, well, we don't know what the future holds, but I know that I love you and I know that the Lord has his hand in this. So Mm -hmm. let's just keep moving into moving on the path that he has for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So cool. Ashley, what would you say to people who maybe recently got a cancer diagnosis or in the midst of their battle with cancer? What what advice, what encouragement would you give them? Yeah. This season is not easy. And you're going to hear a ton of information that seems overwhelming and really life ending. Um, And if you have any type of faith, I can promise you it will be rocked some. Um, But just continuing to go back to the word, go back to the truth, commit yourself to prayer and find a support system of people who are going to come around you and pray for you as well is huge. Um, You know, at the end of the day, it's a season that you're going to walk through, but you get to choose your response in that season and your response is everything. And know that there are going to be hard days, but there's also going to be really good days. And there's a lot of, there's so much victory in the end of it and so much fulfillment and satisfaction in the end of it that as, you know, as silly as it sounds, it's, it's worth it. It will be worth it. Well, Ashley, your story is so inspiring and, and encouraging. And I, I just can't help but think about all the amazing plans that that God has for you, you know, looking at the eating disorder, looking at cancer, you know, there's a reason the enemy went so hard after you, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you are powerful. You, you, you you are amazing. (laughs) And, and the enemy like tried his best to, to, to defeat you and discourage you and, and to get you off that path that God, you know, uh, called you to, but 
you've you've stuck to it and 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 I think again obedience that that's just a word that keeps coming to my mind as I hear your story and as I talk to you is just your obedience in and and your faith and trusting God that God you know there's there's you know I want things to go a certain way. I would like this to happen. I would like this to happen, but your will be done. Yeah. I, I will follow you after that. And I think that's such a amazing example for, for all of us to hear and, and to see. And you, you walk it out so well uh, you. with your life. So thank you so much again for, for coming you. on and, so and sharing your story. Yeah. Awesome. Well, folks, if that testimony doesn't uplift you and encourage you, I don't know what will. Ashley truly brightens up any room that she walks into, and she's got one of the most vibrant smiles of anyone I've ever met. If you know Ashley and call her a friend, you're blessed for it. If you have any follow-up questions for Ashley's testimony that you'd love to hear her answer, Ask your question using the hashtag AskTWT across all the Testimonies with Terry social media pages, and we'll get her to answer some. And to everyone who is currently battling breast cancer, or any cancer for that matter, my prayers are with you, and I want to remind you that through it all, Jesus is with you, and he is for you. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week with another testimony. And as always, live your life in such a way that glorifies God and kicks Satan's butt.